It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to monday.com. Welcome to the Financial Times Big Read, a weekly podcast featuring the best of our long-form reporting from around the world. I'm Anna Dedder from the Comment and Analysis Desk. This week, Ben Bland, Tom Hancock and Brian Harris reported on China's boycott diplomacy, the way the country's vast market is used to punish companies and countries that displease Beijing. South Korea is just the latest to feel the impact of a state-backed consumer campaign, but Japan's car exports fell in a dispute over islands, and Norway's fishing industry lost out in a spat over a Nobel Prize. Now James King asked Ben how effective China's sanctions are. When China feels wounded by another country, its retaliation can sometimes move beyond diplomatic representations and into economic boycotts. The latest country to feel its wrath has been South Korea, which provoked Chinese ire by deciding to deploy a U.S. missile defense system to protect itself against North Korea. The boycotts that have followed have hit a range of South Korean companies from car makers to retailers and also in the tourist industry. I'm James King, the FT's Emerging Markets Editor, and with me to discuss China's latest episode of Boycott Diplomacy is Ben Bland, our South China correspondent. Welcome, Ben. Could I just kick off by asking you to rehearse for us how this all started? What was the latest spat between China and South Korea all about? Well, last year, the US and South Korea decided to deploy a missile defense system in South Korea, which is a US ally, to protect South Korea, in theory, against the threat of North Korean missiles. Well, there's a debate about how effective this system is. But regardless of that, China took great offense at the decision to install this system. From Beijing's perspective, it could be used to spy on China and it's unnecessary because China thinks diplomatic means are the best way to cool tensions in Korea. So China expressed some dissatisfaction initially last year and perhaps hoped that South Korea would back down. But as the US and South Korea went ahead with installing the system, which finally started going into installation and operation earlier this year, China increased the rhetoric and then the physical crackdown on South Korean companies. And how has that crackdown manifested itself? I mean, what uh, South Korean companies have really been affected? It started in the way that these things often do in China with increased inspections on things like health and safety. So Korean companies in China or exporting products to China found that their goods might have been held up at customs while those of other countries went through. And then it hardened as China's position hardened too. So one of the most prominent companies to have been hit is Lotte, the South Korean retail group, which has had most of its 99 retail stores in China closed down, ostensibly for various reasons. But in reality, because Lotte agreed to hand over a golf course it controlled to the South Korean government to assist with the deployment of this missile system. So Lotte is one that's been particularly badly hit. 
Also, some of the Korean car companies, Kia and Hyundai, have reported big drops in sales in the first quarter this year compared to the same period a year earlier. And that's because of articles about the issue and pressure on South Korea and how Chinese people shouldn't support South Korean companies have been published in Chinese state media and Chinese consumers have taken that to heart. So while the Chinese car market grew something like 4% in the first quarter, some of these Korean car companies have seen their sales drop by as much as 36%. And so when we think about the nature of this sort of economic boycott, to what extent has it been orchestrated by Beijing and to what extent is it really just an outpouring of hurt feelings by Chinese consumers acting on their own volition? It's a very good question that really goes to the heart of these economic boycotts, which China has been carrying out for more than 100 years in various different forms. I think sometimes we see that they're more driven by consumers and by real hurt feelings. Sometimes it's much more government driven. Sometimes the two come together. I think in the case of the Korean missile defense system, it's very much driven in the first place by the Communist Party and by state media outlets who've been pumping out a lot of propaganda warning that this is South Korea supporting a US plot to contain China. So they've really been pushing it. I don't think the average Chinese consumer of South Korean pop music or someone considering buying a South Korean car sits there pondering you know, the specifics of US and South Korean missile defense. So this one's very much come from the government. But once the propaganda is out there, remember in China that the internet is tightly controlled, there's not much access to outside media or outside social media even. So once these sorts of messages are promoted through official media and then through the very tightly censored and controlled social media echo chamber in China, it really can catch fire quickly because there is a high level of latent nationalism in China and there is a sense among many people that the US and its allies are in fact trying to encircle China and restrict its ability to rise as it should be allowed to as other nations have. So I think what's happened is that the government has really quite cleverly played into a strong feeling of national sentiment, even though actually there isn't a great deal of animus towards South Korea. In fact, you know, many Chinese enjoy using South Korean products. You mentioned that these economic boycotts have been going on for a very long time in China. How effective have they been? I mean, to the extent that they are a tool of foreign policy, have they been effective in winning concessions from the foreign governments that have been targeted? There have been a number of studies done, and it's interesting if you look purely in the first case at the economic and financial impact. If we look at previous boycotts, say, against Japanese products, we find that often the trade is hit perhaps for one year, there's a dip, and then it bounces back, which suggests that it's somewhat short term. But actually, we find that in many cases, there is a lasting political impact. So if you look at the case of Norway and the Nobel Peace Prize in 2010, a committee um, which awards the Nobel Peace Prize, which is appointed by Norwegian politicians, but independent from them, gave the Peace Prize to Liu Xiaobo, a very famous Chinese dissident. And Beijing was very upset. It decided to take action against Norway, even though it wasn't a decision taken by the Norwegian government. And so there was an effective embargo put on exports from Norway, including salmon and other seafood products. And academics have estimated that something like a billion dollars in trade was lost from Norway's perspective. And with the impact quite strong on very traditional industries, over the last two to three years, the Norwegian government worked very hard to repair the damage to the extent that late last year, 
they signed an accord with China to mend both economic and political ties and pledged in the strongest possible terms that they would respect core Chinese interests, which means not doing things like giving prizes to Chinese dissidents or meeting the Dalai Lama, the Tibetan spiritual leader who Beijing does not like. So I think there's cases where it's been very successful, but if you look at Japan, the pressure doesn't seem to have worked quite so well. And China's ended up now with a leader in Shinzo Abe in Japan who's rather more towards the right-wing or nationalistic side of things. So it's arguable whether the hardline approach taken by China towards Japan has in some sense left them dealing with a much tougher leader there. And uh, lastly, Ben, what can South Korea really do about this? Do they have any sort of recourse under the World Trade Organization or really is their only uh, choice to somehow give concessions towards China? I think there's a worry for many countries, not just South Korea, that in the end, for everyone, perhaps apart from the US, that countries are too weak economically and politically and companies too to stand up to China on these issues. So there's certainly a fear that, as one Norwegian academic put it, China is too big to fault. You simply can't afford to criticise them. In the case of South Korea, the trade minister has suggested that China may be in violation of some trade agreements and he's lodged some sort of initial complaint with the World Trade Organization. But as you know well, James, these sorts of WTO complaints, even if they have good grounds, can take years and years and years to be resolved. So it's not a great way for countries to go about defending their position. I think it's very tough. One thing that countries can do is to look more closely at their trade relationships to China and wonder if they really do need to give in or not. If you look at the case of Australia, it sends about a third of its exports to China. And there's this very strong feeling in Australia that it's extremely dependent economically on China. And so therefore it has to be very, very careful about what it says in its politics and how it reacts so as not to offend China and damage its economy. But if you look more closely, because Australia is mostly an economy driven by its own consumption and trade is a very small part of the picture, these exports to China only amount to something like 5% of GDP. And once you understand that you're perhaps less dependent on China than you think you are, I think it allows countries to have a more nuanced look at these sorts of relationships. And certainly there are those in many countries around the world, from the US to Great Britain, that argue that people should be taking a more strident approach in standing up to China rather than just giving in easily. But certainly there are fewer and fewer government officials and multinational companies who are willing to tackle China on any of these sorts of taboos because the fear of being locked out of this great market is still so strong. Ben, thank you very much for joining us. You can read the full report on www.ft.com.